Hey besties, welcome to Sunshine and Rainbows podcast, a space where we chat about moments when life isn't. I'm your host, Amanda, and I cannot wait to get into this important conversation with our next guest, Karen. After reaching out and sharing her story surrounding mental health in the modeling world, I knew this conversation was one that definitely needed to be heard. You don't want to miss this. So let's get started. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for reaching out to me and asking and requesting to share your voice and your story on my podcast. I am so excited to meet you, so excited to connect with you and start some pretty cool conversations in the line of work that you are doing. So I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to my audience and, you know, just take us on a journey. Start from the beginning of how you got started to where you are now. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, I, like, I think one thing that has saved my mental health throughout this whole past year and, you know, dumpster fire that is 2020 <laughs> has been like, you know, being able to still connect with people. And I know we give social media like a really bad rep most of the time, but this is one of the things that I never take for granted. So thank you so much for connecting with me and having this conversation. Uh, yeah, my name is Karen and we were joking about it earlier, but I promise I'm the good kind of Karen. <laughs> the good kind um and i, I love am... that even in your email when you pitched coming on the podcast you're like hi my name's karen and i promise i'm a nice karen i'm so insecure about it i'm so, oh. so insecure. it's a good joke it's a good joke but... it is it was a good like icebreaker i liked it <laughs> um i'm originally from newfoundland and you know definitely a super small town girl um moved to toronto to pursue my dream uh, when I was when it was 2014 and had to become a model that was my dream Uh, ever since I was nine years old I started modeling and I just wanted to be a model Um, it was a lot more than a dream for me it was like uh, like a daydream and a way to escape Mm. Uh, I grew up in a very chaotic environment and I've struggled with mental health since I was like eight years old and so we can talk about that a little like in more in depth because it's yeah. super important but for me uh to deal with like my trauma and abuse that i was uh, like going through and surviving i would daydream and modeling was that one thing that allowed me to escape my environment and my circumstances and just think about you know a safer time and to, you know i, I did it <laughs> I that's amazing Toronto. i know it's like wild um but I moved to Toronto uh, after a lot of struggle, a lot of surviving, and got my life together. And you know, I, instead of surviving, I started thriving. And oh, I love that. Always kind of stayed true to myself, and got there. And I'm so proud of myself for doing it. So, and since then, you know, I found myself as a mental health advocate and coach, uh, where I help people navigate the world of mental health because it lacks in peer support and mm-hmm. we need more guidance um, just on how to take care of ourselves mentally because it's not something we're taught and then when you start experiencing symptoms of mental health disorder it can be very very scary yeah and uh, so I do that and I also have a podcast where I help to like strengthen voices of, of people who often felt like they were silenced and yeah do some public speaking on body positivity. I wear a couple hats. 
there's a couple hats going on. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. But even though, like you said, you wear a couple hats, I feel like they all seamlessly fit together and they make yeah. sense that you would do all of that. It was, um, you know, we all want to have like, have self-discovery and learn who we are and what makes us happy and what we're passionate about. And it took me a while to kind of like find my little nook and cranny uh, because as a, as a plus size model, which, you know, I don't refer to myself as that. I just refer to myself as a model, but you know, I am considered a plus size model. Which uh, blows it, my mind. I know, blows I know. It's, my it's, mind. It's so silly. It's so silly. But um, you know, a lot of people, I always knew, that I wanted, like I had, I wanted to have a voice and I wanted to help people. And a lot of people in the industry who plus size models kind of naturally veer towards like body positivity and everything, which is amazing. We need, yeah. we need more of it. And we need more representation and diversity in what we're seeing online. So amazing. Uh, but it was honest, to be completely honest, it was just never something I completely identified with. Um, and mostly because I've struggled with my mind so much that my like trying to keep my sanity was always first right and uh and like how I felt about my body was never to me a priority because I you know I started showing symptoms of bipolar disorder when I was eight years old and so uh it's been it's just it was mostly focused on that and at the time no one was talking about mental health mm. uh, you know when i was on instagram in 2011 2012 this was not a presence <laughs> this was nope. not a thing <laughs> this was not a thing that was talked about it was online. like food photos back then yeah exactly that's it <laughs> <laughs> um and and so yeah i just i i it then it, you know eventually it got to a point where I knew that I was sitting on a story that could help people and mm. what kind of uh, triggered me or kind of pushed me over the, you know, to see the risk and benefit, like the risk versus benefit of talking about my story was just in a December, I heard about um, this young woman from home who was a mental health advocate who took her own life. Oh. And that just hit me like, in, in, in like a deeper place because, mm. you know, you when you're an advocate and you just you think that you're an advocate oh like you, you know advocates don't have it all figured out either we're still learning we're still trying yes um, and we're not like immune or above anyone else or at the at the top of kind of therapy and what works for us like it, it's still but just the fact that you know it's, that she was an advocate and mm. still kind of was struggling in this battle yeah um, oh that it just, just breaks me, my heart oh, yeah I'm it's so sorry think, like, wow so yeah, I started um, putting a face to it, I guess. And okay. I'm really happy I did. You know, a lot of people said, oh, you might lose clients, like people might not want to work with you. But I have to say super grateful that clients actually see it as a strength and they love working with me. Oh, I love yeah, that. And, yeah, it's like, could not be happier. And, and you know, because as a model now, when I work with clients and brands, and do campaigns and everything i'm doing it as someone who struggles with mental health disorders and i'm trying to uh just represent the community and um you know just show that people with chronic illness and disabilities or symptoms of mental health disorders are valuable and still deserve a place and space in society yes. and that we should be represented in fashion and media so that's just like a little 
a little bit of what I try to do at least. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that in itself is not little at all. That is yeah. huge, huge. And congratulations to you for not only feeling that calling, but acting on it and then being successful in it as well too. Like what, what an accomplishment. I am amazed by you <laughs> to say the least. Oh my goodness. I'm serious. You Thank are incredible. You. And I I do have a couple of questions for you just in like yeah, an intro that you good. stated. So you said that you started showing symptoms of bipolar disorder at a very young age. Mm -hmm. uh, based on the research I've done, typically you don't recognize those symptoms until early adulthood. So what was it like as a child going through that? Yeah. So the thing with bipolar disorder is it is one of those mental health disorders that is genetic. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people can carry like the gene and have, you know, sit, sitting in within themselves, the potential, I guess, for bipolar disorder and how it comes to exist in you is, is uh, it's triggered by trauma. And so that's why you have, you know, people at different points in life, you know, all of a sudden they're diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because, you know, after childbirth or after big life events, like someone passing uh, or a breakup or illness, you know, things like this. Mm. And so because I had like a traumatic childhood, it was just triggered yeah. very oh early my in me. Also, um, diagnosing younger people with bipolar disorder is like semi-controversial because you're growing up and you're you're changing hormones and you're still learning who you are and you're developing a personality mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of controversy with it like how can you say that someone is bipolar or not like how do you say someone is manic happy versus just happy like you can't yeah. make, you can't make that call for people so for me um i actually started like hallucinating at eight years old wow yeah and so I was like deep in it. You were <laughs> so, like, hey, there's no blurry line for me. No, it's black it's and white. <laughs> yeah. All literally, in. Literally, <laughs> I was all in. Exactly. I was all in. Um, yeah, so around eight, like I started having hallucinations. Um, I started having like severe paranoia. I thought mm. that my parents were trying to poison me. Um, I wouldn't like I was very weird with my my beverages and my food thinking that that I was being poisoned um, I started self-harming at uh, around nine and then you know it was just like just <laughs> progressively got worse <laughs> as time went on um, and, and then in my teens I started what's called rapid cycling so I could rapid cycles have mood swings within like 30 seconds of each other um, the hallucinations of course just kept getting worse and then I also like my sleeping I would never sleep you know and this went for the most part just like not unnoticed it just you know cruised through there was a lot going on <laughs> so yeah I don't like the, these behaviors weren't really um, they weren't taken seriously and it was weird because even though we grew up in a relatively like mental health um just kind of comfort home or you know my mom always had conversations with my brother and i about because she knew that there was family history 
Okay. And we, I had a cousin uh, take his own life mm. when he was 14. And so there was always conversations, right? Like, especially yeah. around those ages, if we ever feel different, like make sure to, to talk about it. And so I did, <laughs> I don't feel good. Like, I knew in my heart something was wrong. Yeah. And because, you know, I was like, I knew my, I don't know if this is just insight or awareness, but I knew how I felt wasn't how like the vast majority of people felt. And I go to the grocery store and I would look at people watch and just be like, there's no way that everyone here feels how I feel because you wouldn't live like you would like you wouldn't want to live. It's just yeah. it's too painful. Oh, that's so perceptive at that yeah. age too. Like, I knew it. I'm like, this is people don't live like this. There's no freaking oh. chance. And but when I told my mom, she said I was doing it for attention. And so nothing like really happened. And I was like, okay. Um, even like talk about perception, even then I'm like, well, literally like if I'm, if I'm doing this for attention, like there's still something wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you look attention. at the psychology of it, you're like, yeah, there's still something. <laughs> yeah. Let's unpack so, that. <laughs> yeah. Let's say yeah, it needs to be unpacked. And so at 14, she took me to a psychiatrist who diagnosed me with a primary diagnosis of uh, bipolar disorder and then a secondary diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Okay. And I was given medication, um, and I know I was a minor, so I wasn't, I wasn't able to administer the medication myself. Okay. And my mom gave me the medications for like three days and then flushed them in the toilet and was like, wow. You know, yeah. And then, you know, like we, we talk about it even to this day and she, she just, I mean, we're good, but, um, she just, you know, she would say, well, I just wanted a second opinion. And I'm like, well, the second opinion never came. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's important. I like, I feel it's important to share this in case parents are listening that yeah, like in case you, this sounds familiar to you. And um, because the way I look at it is I then would continue to suffer and deteriorate and have no quality of life mm-hmm. until I was 23 years old. And, you know, throughout the years, I experienced multiple hospitalizations, multiple breakdowns. Life was very hard. Uh, I graduated university, which is like incredible. No one knows how. Um, and I, at 23, I finally received help, long-term care, rehab, medications, lifestyle. Um, but I often think about how different my life would be if I had received that help sooner. And I mean, listen, I'm alive. Yeah. I made it. <laughs> I'm you here. Are, you are thriving now. <laughs> yeah. But think about all those years of survival. Yeah. What could be different? I I don't blame you for that at all. Yeah. Mm. Oh my goodness. And so through all of that, have you found a treatment plan? Have you found medication or whatever type of therapy yeah, that works time. for you? So um like the majority of people, you talk about medications because I know I, I never want to just make it seem like it was so easy. Yeah, right? it was not easy. It's a process. Yeah, you know when when I moved away to university, thankfully I was able to better help myself because I was above eighteen and I could make decisions for myself. Um, the first thing I did when I went to university was seek out campus resources. Mm-hmm. So I put myself in individual therapy, group therapy, um, and did what I could 
therapy wasn't enough. And then a couple years into that, I just started having crippling anxiety and I couldn't, it was affecting every aspect of my life. And so that's when I started my, <laughs> my trial and error with medications. Yeah. Um, some worked, some didn't, some made me worse. And this is like the problem with medications is that you just have to keep trying and you lose hope, right? Because mm. some things don't work. Some things make you worse than you were to start with. Um, and I definitely like, there were some that I became uh, dependent on as well. And so that was a whole thing. But eventually, um, after many rock bottoms, <laughs> after a complete meltdown, um, I ended up actually full circle seeing the same psychiatrist that had diagnosed me at 14. What? Yeah. Because uh, I had I had moved to Montreal to try and okay. start my modeling career. Okay. And, you know, this was after a couple of hospitalizations in Montreal. I ended up in hospital again. And and then this was kind of like my rock bottom. Like I just didn't even want to live anymore. I wanted to die. Um, I was like self-harming just 24-7. Um, and I was just over it. Like it just I just felt like I've done this for a long time and I just can't do it anymore. And so I was home and saw the same psychiatrist and he basically told me that I was like so sick that there was nothing he could do for me in Newfoundland. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's great. You're like, wow, um, thank you so much. Thank, thank <laughs> now <you>. what? <laughs> I know. Um, and then that's a whole other topic about just mental health care in provinces in Canada. Like there's a oh, lot yeah. of provinces that um, are, have, do not have sufficient mental health care for the people who live there and it's it's really really upsetting so i that happened to me they were like mm. you know he's like there's nothing we can do um but you know there's this place in ontario it's called homewood it's a long-term care facility and you know he's like it's in guelph and i was like where's guelph and he's like ontario and to me being in like this tiny small town girl newfoundland i was like I have to go to Ontario. I was like, whoa. Big city. <laughs> it's it huge. So far away. Yeah. And he basically asked, like, because, you know, just my consent, like, is this something that I would want to do, right? And I remember thinking about it for, like, 30 seconds, and all I kept thinking about was, well, I don't want to die. And, like, if I don't go, I'm going to die, like, for sure. And so I was like, okay, I'll oh. go. Yeah. And I went and it was here. This was, I'm 23 years old where my diagnosis of bipolar disorder was confirmed. And then the secondary diagnosis of uh, borderline personality disorder, but also <laughs> um, generalized anxiety and PTSD. Wow. And so this is the other thing too, like back to my comment about getting help sooner. Like yeah. I, I wonder if maybe the other things wouldn't have had the opportunity to ma manifest. Manifest. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so those were my diagnoses and at Homewood, I was there from September to November in 2011. Um, it was hard because I had just graduated university and everyone was like, getting married and buying cars and homes and pursuing yep. secondary education and I was in a hospital <laughs> I just look sucked um and but it was here I got my second chance at life 
you know, I learned, well, first of all, they put me on medication that worked. So, oh, good. Um, Yay. They, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they, they weaned me off of the medication that I had become addicted to and they put me on new different medication, um, monitored me around the clock and it seemed to work. And then also in addition to that, I had classes every day. It was kind of like university. You go to classes, uh, you learn about like PTSD and trauma and anxiety and depression and then horticulture and, and bowling and clay and painting. Wow. Yeah. And so, and spirituality and all these things. So I, and I went in there like so motivated. Mm. Um, I, you know, you have to want it, right? Yeah. And I went in there wanting it really, really bad. And yeah, so then I did the program. Um, but even then, like upon being discharged, it's like your life isn't just, you're not fixed. You're not cured and back to normal. No, because um, you're on your own now. Yeah, that was actually, it was so, when they told me that I, that I was being discharged, I was so scared. Like I, I wanted to stay longer because just the thought of leaving um, yeah. was the, like, at the time worse than entering mm. um and when i you know in the first year after discharge you have an 80 percent chance of relapsing so that's super high and i didn't want to relapse and also like i wasn't you know i was advised not to work and so like how do people do this you know what i mean like you have to work well and for you with your situation you said a lot of it was your childhood and your upbringing. So how are you not able to work, but also not move back into where your triggers stem from? Yeah. It's, it's and be like, successful. Yeah. There's a, there's, you're not really set up for success. Like, you, mm. you know, it, like I had to work really hard. Uh, you know, I, t I took it slow. You know, my, my first job was part-time um, at like Placenza. Okay. And then I, after a couple of months of handling that pretty well, and I got two part-time jobs and then, you know what I mean? Like I kind of worked my way up. Yeah. Um, and so that was like, was discharged November, 2011. And then in 2014, I moved up to Toronto, which was like another, that was a big step for me, <laughs> for me to do that. Uh, it was just scary even from a mental health standpoint, but um, really happy that I did and made it work but oh my goodness yeah wow thank you so much for sharing that and just giving me and the audience a little bit of insight and I it's feel important like you, to share oh sorry yeah you hit so many key points that are so important that was just like a wealth of information of incredible points <laughs> it's important to share because like this, this world is designed for a certain kind of person. And if you don't fit into that box, if you are outside of that box, like if you're neurodivergent or mm. have uh, disabilities, whether they're cognitive or physical, um, if you have chronic illness, like if you're anything but in this box, uh, the world is very different and people in the box never have an opportunity to like wear someone else's shoes, you know, yeah. just, just so to say, or, um, understand like some of the struggles I know that like my partner for example he has no mental health issues he's just like whatever annoying 
And <laughs> it is annoying. It is so really annoying. annoying. <laughs> but he he's he tells we talk about it all the time, just how being with me has like opened his eyes to like mm. and is and you know, he, he manages a team and he is, he admits he's he's more like aware and empathetic uh, to things going on. Because when you think of things, you know, just accommodations for work or uh, just even the fact like that I had to do this. I had to, in order to live, I had to go to hospital and, and do this program. But li- life after it, there's all these obstacles that are because they're not designed for people to like thrive like me. And uh, this is also my experiences as like a cis appearing white woman, right? And so there's lots yep. of more obstacles uh, for a lot of other people that we don't talk about it and we're not aware of. And it, it just makes life so much more difficult for so many people. Um, and so by sharing my story, I hope to shed light on it so that if you are ever in a position to make a difference in someone's life that you do. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm almost speechless, almost speechless <laughs> because I'm just so overwhelmed with just the strength in your story and the strength that you're radiating right now, even recounting everything that you've been through. Like it just, it's, it's bubbling up from inside of you. And it's so incredible to see and to listen to. And honestly, when I, when you told me about your story initially, and then you said you were a model, my brain was like, okay, we're talking mental health, but she's a model. And I feel like that field in itself (laughs) is so destructive for mental health. But then when you started, you're like, but it's my escape. And I'm like, whoa, this is just completely blowing all expectations I I had out of the water. So that part is weird. Yeah. That being said, how do you think taking care of your mental health either plays a role in you being successful or anyone else being successful in that industry? In the industry of modeling yeah it, yeah i mean because you're right it like the fashion industry um has is known for being completely destructive yeah. <laughs> to mental health um i think one thing that has helped me and and you know some of like my friends who are models who, who are in the industry being on this side of it um which is like the plus side um you know we're so kind of prepped and and geared up to to make these waves you know like you're doing it for a cause like you're doing it so that other people feel seen in fashion and heard in media and um you know i have a lot of friends who work with clients who notoriously have only booked straight size models and so you're like you're 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 doing it and there's an element of excitement because you're kind of like pushing boundaries yeah um, and you're you know, I always say like, all I can do is represent um, a body type that looks like mine. You know what I mean? That's just, that's my lane. Um, And I think it's important, like it's so important. I know that like, it helps so much to see yourself represented in media because for the longest time you weren't like, for the longest time it was size zero to maybe four across the board for everything. And and now things are changing and that's exciting. Um, there's still this slippery slope of like falling into comparisons all the time. Yeah. Um, and of course it's different for everyone. Like I have a lot of uh, like friends who are models, but they're on the you know the straight side side. 
Um, and I think we all have similar struggles within ourselves in terms of like self-worth and insecurity, like the straight size, sometimes you feel like you want to be thinner, but oddly enough, on the other end of it, sometimes you feel like you wish you were bigger. Like when you're <laughs> really, yeah, yeah. I found myself so many times like, oh, I just wish I was like bigger. So, you know, like so you're not like plus enough to be yeah. plus size. Like you said at the beginning that you're like, I don't even consider myself yeah. plus. I'm, I'm just a model because mm -hmm. to be honest with you, Karen, you have the average body. Like we yeah. are average, like you said, cis appearing white women, you know, but that's not represented in media. <laughs> And I hated for the longest time how, like, when plus size started being introduced, people were like, oh, yes, finally, like, real women. And that drove me nuts because, like, <laughs> smaller women are real women, too. Like, Everyone's a real woman. There, there has this, we have to stop this, like, war on size. Yeah. Um, it's, it, like, I've only ever focused on my health. Like, health is everything to me. And I just try to be healthy and wherever my body lands at that moment, I'm like, cool, whatever. And my body fluctuates so much because I have like thyroid issues and there's a lot going on and mm. I'm bipolar. So like sometimes I eat and sometimes I don't. Yeah. And so there's always been a lot going on. And I think that's part of it is just not comparing yourself to others. And, um, you know, if you want to monitor like your size just for health reasons, you know, a scale is not the way to do it. Like I always found that measurements are better mm -hmm. um, to like see the changes in your body because, you know, people don't realize that when you first start working out and eating better, you're gonna gain, you're gonna gain more muscle at the beginning than you are going to lose fat. And then this is reflected on a scale and then it just like destroys you mentally. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, it's just all these things, you just have to start being, I don't know. It's it all trickles out, and I never ever want to be like part of the problem. Um, mm. So, you know, I just try to post as much as I can of like my real body and my curves and my back rolls and stomach rolls and like whatever else. <laughs> because for the longest, like I remember being a teenager, and I hated that my stomach was never flat. Like it bothered me so much. Yep. And you know, it's like it's. If we think about everything we could do for our personal growth and for ourselves when we're not obsessing about how we look, then you can really get some stuff done. And mm. we're so much more than our appearance. And that's yes. that's a lot of lot to tackle. There's a lot of like yes. inner misogyny and toxic masculinity and patriarchy stuff going on there with the fashion and beauty industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I always found like just filling your social media with images of bodies that look like you so that you're just being like validated and reinforced throughout your day you're scrolling and scrolling can make the biggest difference in your self-confidence and how you view yourself mm. but yeah i love that i love that and i do want to really quickly apologize for saying that you know you are a real woman because you're right everyone is a real woman <laughs> But no, I did want to clarify because even though I agree and I'm on the same thinking as you, that like societal norm just like slipped out of my mouth. Yeah. And so I would like to take a moment to apologize for that because, you know, growing up, I half my sisters have really, really fast metabolisms in the gene pool that they got 
they fit into the like skinnier woman. And then the other half of my sisters, our gene makeup different and our metabolism and the way our bodies fluctuate is different. And so my entire life, yeah, I've played the comparison game where, you know, just in my family, all of us look completely different. Our bodies are different. And so it is hard <laughs> to not play yeah. that comparison game. And especially when you get on social media and you see images that are very clearly edited and images that aren't very clearly edited, but come out that they are. I just recently saw a video of Kim Kardashian and her video was edited and photoshopped and you saw her finger like move and edit. And how do you protect yourself and your brand? Do you have clients that you work with that edit your body and you have to say, no, that's not what I want? Or do you get a say in that when you're modeling? Oh, there's no say. Really? So this is one thing that, that does bug me that I want, like, that is, I don't know, while we're on the topic, just to clear out, but yeah. um, sometimes you have, like, you know, talk, say, talking about the Kardashian-Jenner uh, Kendall. So, mm -hmm. you know, not that, like, there's not, they're not riddled with problems. Right. <laughs> uh, not that they're not problematic. Everyone um, has them. Everyone's yeah. a problem. <laughs> um, and, and, but, you know, it's also, it, okay, whatever, this, that's the whole thing. But my point <laughs> is... <laughs> That's a whole different episode. Um, my point is that a lot, a lot of times when you see advertising, advertisements come out or campaigns come out and you know the um, consumers, the public are very quickly to identify like this is wrong, right? Um, I'm, just, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about the Kendall Pepsi commercial, which is like really, really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone, everyone is so quick to like bash the model. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Kendall either. Like it's, you see it happen often. Yeah. And to like clear things up, <laughs> like models don't have any say. Okay. It's like, I mean, it's rare that models have any say in like what's happening uh, conceptually um, or whatever, you know, obviously there's a rare chance that they do. And, you know, they say something on set and they go, they run with an idea or whatever. But for the most part, like the majority, um, you just, you show up to a job and you do the job. Oh, for example, like you see too, like all these models sometimes wearing modeling for like Walmart or H&M or whatever, and they're wearing like very racist or just like inappropriate shirts, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's not the model's fault. Like you go to set, you're given clothing, you do your job because that's your contract and then you yeah. leave, you know what I mean? And so, uh, I just, it's just, I just, I've always found it sad when I see talent getting a lot of shit for things when mm -hmm. it's not, it's not, it's the, it's the brand, it's the company, it's the creative agency behind it, like whoever made these decisions, it's, the, the model is not at that boardroom table making right. these decisions. <laughs> no, that's so enlightening to bring up because you're right, we're so quick to hold the face accountable and not the men in suits behind it yeah, and exactly. I think that's such an important thing and I think it should be our job as society and this community to start holding those brands accountable and not the models because that's not fair because you're right if they don't have a say then they don't you know yeah mm. well thank you so much for that insight and <laughs> just sharing your story <laughs> I know I love it no but I love it and that's why I love having these conversations because 
I don't ever claim to know everything and I want to keep learning. And this is a whole other side of the industry that I didn't know about, but I have friends in and some people are open to sharing and others aren't. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to not only talk about your own personal experience, but just kind of give us an insight as a whole on the industry as well too. Um, I do want to give you an opportunity to just give advice to anyone listening that maybe has been through some of the situations you discussed or is potentially currently in them right now. Yeah. Um, so I'll speak to anyone who may be experiencing like mental health issues, mm-hmm. because especially after this year, um, I don't, <laughs> we will never be the same. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I guess I always just want to validate people that, you know, a lot of people and a lot of things have let you down for you to get to this point. No one should have to reach a level 10 out of 10 crisis or a rock bottom or a hospitalization before they get help. Like, if you find yourself in that category, I just want to tell you that it's not entirely your fault because we have not been set up. We have not been given tools to identify the pink and then the red flags of our mental health and our deterioration. Um, and then also with the stigma and the biases and the judgments and then like different cultural things and then society like as a whole where you're we are not there uh so i you know i do believe that in if you're experiencing symptoms of mental health like you have to be your own self-advocate you have to you know you can have support but it's always made the biggest difference for me to kind of like rely on myself and know that mm-hmm. i have me and and there's a lot, a lot of times where that has to be enough and if you have extra support that's great but you have to show up for yourself and you have to push really, really hard. It is extremely difficult to navigate the world of mental health, which is why I started mental health coaching, you know, because where do you start? And that's a lot of people don't know where to start. And that's part of what I do is help people find a medical support team and get, get the tools and help them collect their life and start like thriving versus surviving. And I also help like parents who have children who don't know anything about what's going on, but I help them navigate the world of mental health as well. And I think it's just important to put yourself first and don't like put it on the back burner because you'll never outrun mental health like ever. <laughs> it's yeah. not a thing. No, you no. Will never, you'll never outrun it. Um, it will catch up to you with like a vengeance. And so it's never too early to start taking care of your mental health and it's never too late. That's like the important thing mm. too. Um, and we should be looking at mental health just like we look at physical health. It should just be an entire thing. And um, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's amazing. It gave yeah. me all the happy feels. And Good. We have yes. it's important to talk about. It is. And just normalizing and destigmatizing all of the incredible things you brought up yeah. is so important and something that I firmly believe in. And obviously I know you do too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And lastly, I just want to give you an opportunity to share where 
people listening can find you. I know you have your own podcast and your different social channels. And if they're interested in that mental health coaching we talked about, I would just love to give you that opportunity to share all the incredible things you're putting out into the universe. (laughs) So you can learn literally everything if you go to www.geekins.ai slash Karen Ender. Of course, I am a huge user of Instagram. Yeah. One of my favorite apps. So <laughs> it's at Karen Inder, K A R Y N I N D E R R. Yes, that's my saving grace is that my name is spelled with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like the Model Tongue podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. But like I said, you just if you go to the Instagram or the Beacons link, you'll find everything you need or a quick google it's google so yeah that's me perfect and i will link all of that in the episode yeah, notes for easy easy finding easy clicking easy clicking. yes and i will <laughs> say that your like cover for your podcast inspired me to rebrand because yeah. it did i was like whoa this is flawless and fabulous and she's just owning her power i was like you know what when I first started my podcast, it was like a cartoon graphic of me and I was afraid to put my face out there. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so even just you influenced me. And so I love a that. nice way brand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so refreshing. <laughs> it is. Honestly, it's good. It's like a new season. Yeah. Karen, thank you so much. I appreciate you and your voice and your story and your heart and just sharing all these incredible things that you did with my audience and thank you so uh, much yeah wow you just you I was having a meh day and now my day is <laughs> a-okay you really just inspired me so much so Yay. thank you thank you thank you so much mm-hmm. all right guys we will see you next week bye, bye. woo Besties, thank you for listening to yet another amazing conversation started here on Sunshine and Rainbows podcast. Each week, I am legitimately blown away by the voices and stories shared here. The goal really is to amplify others' experiences and hopes that someone listening out there feels that much less alone. Thank you so much again to Karen for not only sharing her story about her own mental health journey, but also spreading such a powerful message with everything that she's putting out into the world. If you'd like to share your own story with our audience about how you've overcome something in your life, or maybe you want to start an important conversation that should be heard, please send us an email at sunshinerainbowspodcast at gmail.com. Also, there's something extremely exciting in the works, and I cannot wait to share it with you guys very soon. Maybe I'll tell you next week, or maybe not. I probably will. Okay.